0: as we continue on in the book of Isaiah, and we will read verses 6 through 22. And we went through the first five verses and and talked about the mountain of the Lord and and how Jerusalem had been established. We we kind of looked at Jerusalem from past and and in Isaiah's time and in our time and in future times. Uh, Jerusalem had been established as... The place of worship, the, the temple uh, for the true God, uh, in in the Old Testament, and and King David uh, set up the temple. Well, actually Solomon uh, built the temple uh, at the time, uh, but then Isaiah saw how Jerusalem had had been spared uh, from the king of Assyria, and and Isaiah took great joy. In that. And and yet it it also pointed to, as we were going through, it also pointed to the latter days or the last days, those days in which we live right now that started at Pentecost, when Peter said these are the last days and and uh how we live in those now and look forward to the new Jerusalem that we read about in Revelation and, and Isaiah. As as we talked about those first uh, five verses in chapter two, was talking about this this mountain of the of the Lord, this this Jerusalem, that would uh, happen on on that day, the day of the Lord. But now uh, we're going to see uh, the other side of that day. We're going to see what's happening as Isaiah uh, looks around and also has that eye towards that day of the Lord. And so let's read from Isaiah. Uh, I'll read chapter two, beginning at verse six. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. And they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with, With silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord. And from the splendor of his majesty, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains and against all the uplifted hills, against every high power and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish and against all the beautiful craft, and the haughtiness of men shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away, and people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord, and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. In that day mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? The word of the Lord, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, We thank you for the warnings that you give. We thank you for the truth that you have written for us. May may we take your truth to heart, Lord, and be be strengthened in it. May you be glorified as we look at your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we uh, look at this passage uh, and, and actually the chapter as a whole, uh, I want to point out a couple things about the structure of, of the chapter and then this passage. And, and I do this uh, sometimes when we take a look at books like Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and Daniel. And, and I know what it's like uh, to read. Uh, some of the prophets especially, and sometimes you'll read through them, and then when you're done, you'll think, well, I hope that makes more sense next time I read it, you know, because they are hard to figure out, and, and their their voice changes, and, and you wonder uh, exactly what they're talking about sometimes, and, and so when we go through a book like Isaiah, I'll spend a little more time than normal talking about structure, because I think when we teach ourselves to see the structure of what's being written. It helps us understand what the prophet is saying. Now, one of the things that I should note from uh, the first five verses, actually from verses two through four, is there's a contrast between verses two through four and then six through nine that, that we can see. And I'll just point some of those out and... I was thinking of taking those passages together, uh, but, but I did want to split them up for a different reason. But just notice some of these contrasts, and we'll keep them in the back of our mind. In verse 2, you'll notice that the world is drawn to Zion, to Jerusalem. But in verse 6, you notice that God's people uh, choose to conform to the world. They've become more worldly. Uh, when you look at verse 3, you'll see that the world is seeking spiritual benefit. But when you look at the beginning of verse 7, here, the people of Zion, they're heaping up material wealth. Um, at the end of verse 7, they're getting ready for war. The horses and the chariots, those are... Uh, the, you are reading the Old Testament, those are what kings would take into war, whereas in uh, verse 4, you'll notice that the consequence of coming to Zion is world peace, uh, where, where they're getting rid of their, war, their weapons. Uh, also, uh, as we continue on in verse 8, you'll see people are busy inventing their own gods, whereas back in verse 3, the people were, were seeking to know and obey God. Um, in, in verse 4, the world is received before the Lord's tribunal that he, he judges between the nations. But when we look at verse 6 and verse 9, we see God's people rejected and denied forgiveness. So you see these contrasts that uh, Isaiah is making between the, what should be and, and Judah's reality. And so we'll keep that in the back of our mind because Isaiah is clearly giving us a warning here. And and as we look at this passage, verses 6 through 22, uh, we'll split this up into thirds. And and we'll take the first, there's the first five verses, and then there's seven verses in the middle that kind of go together, and then there's five verses at the end. And I want to start and end by looking at the middle. In verses 11 through 17, and if you notice, the wording is very similar. There's just some words moved around a little bit in verses 11 and in verses 17, and they both end the same way. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And that'll be our base. That's where we start. That's what we'll keep in mind. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day and we'll come back to that Uh but let's go back to verse six and take the first third of what isaiah is writing here for you have rejected your people and here isaiah his voice turns a little bit to god notice that it's almost a prayer and this is another thing that that sometimes will throw us when we look at the the prophets and their writings is sometimes their words become uh they'll speak to god and then it's like like they're speaking to us and and don't let that throw you the prophets do this quite often but but here he writes you have rejected uh your people the house of jacob because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the philistines and and the philistines by the way are in the west so he's doing a couple of things here. He's saying from the east to the west, they're, they've, they're just taking all of this in. They're becoming like everybody around them. I'm not going to spend much time on the fortune tellers part, but uh, it's bad. All right? that, that'll be another day, uh, but like the fortune tellers of, of the Philistines. But also in mentioning the Philistines specifically, this would be a stinging comparison uh, for the people of judah to be compared to the philistines because in the old testament the philistines are never good they're always the bad ones nothing good about them and he said you know what you're becoming just like them you're incorporating these things from the east and and like the philistines of the west and they strike their hands with the children of foreigners now i use the esv and and there's different translations and and yours might say something different there and and that's a very difficult phrase to translate and interpret actually uh what does it mean something it means marriage that you're marrying with pagans um that you're taking in the pagan worship, and I kind of tend toward that a little bit. Uh, that you're simply becoming worldly like the pagans. Uh, it, you'll notice there's kind of a, a thread there. It's all very similar. The idea that that is undertaking there, but they're undertaken there. But but uh, the striking hands with with the children of foreigners. You're becoming like them, in some way. Their land. He's talking to the. To, to the Lord about the, the people of Judah, their land is, is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, no end to their chariots. And it's not just the fact that, that there's silver and gold. That wouldn't be the real problem, but the problem is that's their treasure, That's what they're after, and they keep wanting more of it. The horses and security, or the the horses and the chariots, that's their security, and they keep building their own security and taking pride in that. And then in verse 8, their land is filled with idols. And notice what Isaiah does here. In the first two uh, examples: Land is filled with silver and gold, no end to their treasures. Land is filled with horses, no end to their chariots. Land is filled with idols, you would expect no end to their idolatry, but he doesn't go there. Instead, he does something different. He points out and, and emphasizes the sheer absurdity of idolatry, that man is building something with his hands his own fingers build this thing and then all of a sudden this thing becomes a god how absurd is that that man builds god it's ridiculous and he's pointing that out they build this thing they call it a god and 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 in verse 9, he's humbled, and each one is brought low. He's bowing down to this thing he has made, his treasures, his security, and, and he's made this thing, and he bows down to that, brings himself low before that thing that he made. And then Isaiah says, do not Forgive them, and and that's a startling uh, statement there. Uh, It literally, in the Hebrew, it reads, do not lift them. And I was surprised that no major translation that I saw translated it that way. They get the idea, do not forgive them. That's really what he's saying, but but literally, uh, they've brought themselves low before these idols. Don't even lift them up. And, and what Isaiah is saying here is he's not trying to give God a command. He's not trying to say, God, don't forgive. He's not commanding God to, to uh, not forgive. But, but rather, what he's getting at is that it is unthinkable that these people could be forgiven when they're bowed down to these idols. There's no way they can be lifted up. You know, it's, it's like a, a thief, to use a really clumsy example, like, like a thief in the middle of the night walking out of the bank and the alarms are blaring and, and, and everything uh, is going on and, and he's walking out with a handful of money and, and there's a policeman waiting for them. And, and the thief would look at the policeman and say, you know what, can we just overlook this? You know, this, this is just a big misunderstanding. I didn't really mean to do this. Is this wrong? I didn't know this was wrong. Of course, the policeman can't just turn away and say, yeah, you know what, Just it's okay. No, you do something about it. The guy is wrong, and you know he's wrong, and he knows he's wrong. And that's what Isaiah is saying. They're wrong. How can they possibly be forgiven? These idols that they've made and bowed down to. People bowing and, and saying they're worshiping God, but they're, they're bowed down to idols. And, and as I mentioned, I, I'm going to come back to uh, the middle verses here, but well, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. We're going to go from verse 10 and jump ahead to verse 18, because there's some tie-ins there. You see rock, and you see terror, and, and the splendor of his majesty. As Isaiah writes in, in verse 10, and, and, and he turns to, to the people of Judah, enter into the rock, the, the pagans, those who are caught in idolatry and, and hide in the dust before the terror of the Lord, from the splendor of his majesty. And, and then jumping to verse 18, and, and the idols shall utterly pass away. And he mentions again, people entering the caves of the rock and the holes of, of the ground, the idols utterly passing away. And just like in verse 10, when these people are terrified, all God has to do is show himself. Just show himself. Unveil who he is. And the idols just pass away. The the proud become humble. All the Lord has to do is rise from his throne and these idols, these no gods, are shown to be what they are. Nothing. Nothing. The glory of the Lord is so magnificent. The splendor of his majesty. And all of a sudden, all these idols are nothing. And the people uh, entering the caves. And in verse 20, it says, uh, they will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold. And and here are these proud people. they're, They're terrified hiding from the splendor of his majesty and this casting away is really an expression of disgust and, and they see the lifelessness and the uselessness of, of these idols they're just disposable objects things they have made and are worthless and just throw them to these animals that live in the dark because they're not going to do anybody any good Uh, One uh, theologian writes, the idolater is no stronger than his idol and the idol no less helpless than he. And that's what Isaiah is getting at. This proud man, proud of his idol, is no, no stronger than the idol he made. But here's the problem. That idol he made is no good. It's this, before the terror of the Lord, at the end of verse 21, from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. And then in verse 22, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? Isaiah is looking around at Judah he's saying, stop trusting in yourselves, stop trusting in your man-made ways of salvation, your, your, your ways of worshiping, your idolatry, these things that you're finding so much pride and pleasure in, what, what are you doing? Uh, Matthew Henry uh, writes this, Let not your eye be to the power of man, for it is finite and limited, derived and depending, It is not from him that your judgment proceeds, but look to the power of God, to which all the powers of men are subject and subordinate. Dread his wrath, secure his favor, take him for your help, and let your hope be in the Lord your God. And those are great words because, let's come back to the middle of this passage then, Because, in verse 11, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of man shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And as I mentioned earlier, you can see how verses 11 and and verse uh, 17, uh, very similar. In fact, he kind of, he just changes the words around a little bit to give us just this, this round, if you will, this this fullness of what he's saying. The haughty looks of man brought low and humbled, the pride of man humbled and brought low. But the Lord will be exalted in that day. And then Isaiah kind of unloads on everything, starting at verse twelve. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty against all that is lifted up. And it shall be brought low against the cedars of Lebanon and, and the oaks of Bashan. And and he, here are these tall, mighty trees, and he's using them symbolically of all of these men who think they are so prominent and so mighty. And the Lord will wipe out those trees just like he'll wipe out the, the proud, prominent mighty thinking man against all the lofty mountains and against all the uplifted hills. And remember in the Old Testament, the mountains and the high places where is where Israel would often sin by making altars to these false gods. Against those lofty mountains, against those hills, God will wipe them out against every high tower. And here you think of Genesis chapter 11 and go back to the Tower of Babel when mankind got around and and they were going to build this tower to the heavens, they said. And basically they were going to be their own God. And, And there's a bit of humor as that's written in Genesis 11 because here they're building this tall, mighty tower And then Moses writes in Genesis, and the Lord had to come down to look at it. Here they think they're building something great. And God would have missed it if he hadn't come down to look at it. Against every fortified wall. And here we think of the walls of Jericho. When God had Israel walk around Jericho for a few days, and then on that seventh day, They walked seven times and all they did was blow horns and shout and the walls came crashing down against the fortified walls. The Lord, it's no problem. He can bring it down. Against the ships of Tarshish, against all the beautiful craft. These are the finest ships on the ocean. And here we're reminded of Jonah. When he ends up on a ship, going to Tarshish and these these seasoned sailors get caught in this storm and they realize they have no chance because God is angry with them. they've got the finest of ships and they know they're going down unless God relents. And finally they throw Jonah overboard at his request and God does relent. None of these things are a match for God. The haughtiness of man shall be humbled, And the lofty pride of man brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. It reminds me a little bit of what Paul writes uh, in Romans chapter 12, in verse 3, Paul writes this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgments. And Isaiah would look around at the people of his day and say, Amen, Paul. And he would look around at our day and say, Amen, Paul. Don't think yourself too highly. And remember this. Isaiah know, or he knows what he's writing about. R- remember, the first five chapters of Isaiah were kind of were written after his call. They're not chronological. They were there, it's, it's an overview basically of, of everything going on in his ministry. His call starts. In Isaiah chapter 6, that's the beginning of his ministry. And at the beginning of his ministry, if you look at those first few verses of Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees a glimpse of the glory of God, and he's terrified. He just gets a glimpse, and he thinks, whoa, what's this? He's terrified of the glory of God. And here now he's looking at the the trinkets really that man is making and calling gods. He's seeing these things that they they treasure and these things that give them security. He's seeing how they're mingling the worship of of the pagans around them with with worship of of the true God. You know just Recently, uh, I, I heard a Christian actually, actually I overheard this. It was, it was a, a show, uh, a podcast actually, and, and uh, three Christians were, were talking and, and, and one of them uh, was a woman, actually two were a woman and, and one was this guy and, and one of the women was talking about this youth trip. Uh, that that she had taken some years ago and, and how wonderful this youth trip was because her youth pastor brought her to this temple and, and it's a, a false religion. It, it's a temple. I'm not even going to mention what it is, but, but it, a, a place of idolatry, a false religion. And she said it was so great that the youth pastor took them there so they could see this. And then uh, she said, because because there's so much we can all learn from these other religions. And then she continued on, and the other two were in agreement with this, by the way. She continued on, and I'm paraphrasing just a little, mostly just changing a couple of words, but then she continued on by saying, all religions are basically the same. You do the best you can, and try not to mess each other up. Dangerously erroneous theology. Dangerously erroneous. And extremely offensive and extremely insulting to the glory of God. And that's what Isaiah would tell us. But we live in a culture where that idea is out there and being accepted. Oh, there's so much good about these other religions. We can learn from them. We're all kind of the same anyhow. Isaiah would say, are you kidding me? I have seen the splendor, just a glimpse of the splendor of his majesty, and there is nothing like that. Nothing at all. but we like to make our own gods. We like to tell God what should be right and what's wrong. We like our treasures and we like our security. And one of our danger signs that we should see is is when we start letting our godliness slide because some of our treasure or security or pride is being protected by it. That's our warning sign. And praise God that he'll give us those warning signs that we say there is a potential idol in my life and I need to get rid of that. J. Alec Batier, who I love to quote because he is so pointed and so insightful. He writes this, people's proudest achievement is to dispense of the living God and to become God-makers. Then, indeed, they have come of age. But the standard by which everything must be judged is how it will fare on the day of the Lord. So what stands on the day of the Lord? Praise God, Scripture helps us with that. One of the places, one of the multiple places we could go, but, but the one I want to go to is John chapter 6, verse 40, when Jesus says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Those bow down to their idols, to their treasures, to those things that are not of God. Isaiah is saying, there's no help for them. but Jesus says, those who are bowed to the true God, those who are bowed to Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he will raise up on the last day. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2: And that will happen simply when Jesus shows himself, and everyone will say, Wow, that's God. That's God. And that's also our Savior. That's the one who died on the cross for our sins, that we may be forgiven, that we can worship God with true hearts. And that he can lift us up on that day. Because to quote Isaiah, the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, the lofty pride of man shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. We thank you when the psalmist writes, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We thank you that we can bow down as your children, forgiven by Christ, And may our lives be filled with praise. May we glorify you in the here and now, exalting you in this world. We ask that you keep us pure, that we will forsake all idols, all earthly treasures, all our earthly pride, and that we cling to you And you alone, Lord, giving you true praise and true worship. We thank you for our salvation. And we thank you that Christ will come again in that day that we may see your glory, God, for eternity. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.